This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, you're listening to The Morning Run with the one and only Philip C. Dressed very nicely today in your little narrow collar t-shirt. I'm impressed. You like it? I do. I like it when you make an effort, Philip, and not looking like something you just you dragged out have... of bed with on. <laughs> in. You, you always have issues with my Birkenstock sandals, with my I, Jesus I, sandals. I, I wear Birkenstocks too, but it's just that it doesn't go with the whole outfit. But never mind. <laughs> and of course, the fashion guru here, or fashionista, wannabe fashionista. You are is, the fashionista for is, sure. Uh, Wong Shaoning. It is 6.01 in the morning. It is Friday. We made it. We made it. It's oh, the 19th relieved? of August. Are you relieved it's Friday? I am. Yeah, it just seemed like, hectic like week. it's been a very super duper hectic week for the both of us. But as usual, we are happy to be here. Absolutely. Happy to tell you all the latest stories. Uh, and first off, at 7.15, we're going to be talking about the amendments to the Employment Act from the employee perspective. So yesterday, we had an employer perspective, yep. which I think we did get some social media comments, some write-ins where people were unhappy. But let's face it, we always need to hear all to perspectives, right? All sure. perspectives. So today, we're going to talk to Jay Solomon. He's the Secretary General at the National Union of Bank Employees. And bear in mind, they're the th- third largest union in Malaysia. Then at 7.30, what do we have That's right. We're going to ask the question, how is the venture capital and private equity market faring in this era of rising interest rates and poor debuts from private to public markets? <laughs> Grab. <laughs> <laughs> well, something, something caught your throat, is it? See. See. Buka lapa. Okay. Well, let's just unpack that with Cameron Joyce, deputy head of Research Insights. Then at 7.45... I'm going to talk, or we are going to talk to YB Kasturi Pato, Member of Parliament for Batukawan. And this is an important discussion because we want to know and we want to have an update on the, the very, the critical issue, which honestly, mm. I don't understand why children are denied the chance to be Malaysians. Just if you ask me based on a technical issue, because their Malaysian mothers had to deliver them overseas. Of course, they have foreign fathers. But why is that the case? That's right. I think there was an issue also about this very famous doctor, right? Dr. Amalina in London. Yeah. Also, right? That also had this issue as well. Exactly. So all this and more on The Morning Run. Keep it here. BFM 89.9. 6.07, Friday the 19th of August. And uh, this song is dedicated to you and I. It's I Want You Back by the Jackson 5. It's dedicated to all failed relationships. Of which there are many littered along the road. Excuse me. Talk yeah. to yourself. Okay. Uh, but what's not failed is University Challenge, right? Because it's been going on for how many years? For 30 over years. Oh, by golly. I watched it... Um, for years when I was a student in London. I loved it because it made me feel really stupid. Yeah, it made me feel super dumb. And actually, I couldn't answer like any of the questions. Okay, I could answer maybe two out of the, out hundred. of the hundreds of <laughs> questions that were posed. Sorry, it's 60 years old. 60 years old. It's oh, wow. Britain's longest running quiz show. And we're talking about it because there's an article in Bloomberg and it's entitled Jeremy Paxman step, Steps Down as University Challenge Host After Nearly three decades. Yeah, so Jeremy Paxman was there for I think half the tenure for three decades. I think that's what we were misunderstanding a bit, I yes, think. Yes, and he's been there since so 1994. Yes. And I loved him as a host because he was not bombastic, he was very measured, but he gave those withering looks when yeah, when like, the students gave really dumb answers and stupid answers to the questions. Imagine if we were on air. Oh, I think he would just give up on us. It's like, well, why are you here actually? I mean, was your university standards so low that they let you come on this show? Pers- personally, 
I was thinking, oh, okay, because I went to a relatively decent university. Um, yes, which won last year, this year. Which won this, this year. This year's university uh, exactly. challenge. But I think for me, I realised, oh, my colleagues that smart. Because when I was in college, I don't remember my colleagues being that intelligent because we were kind of talking a bit more mundane items rather than what they were answering during the university challenge. So, oh, you mean like the cover of FHM and where to eat the hot no. dog mix? Okay. Hello. Well, <laughs> more, where dim sum yeah, is best Actually, more like where was the best dim sum in London? That was actually preoccupying most and of my time how and how to mind. save money at Sainsbury's or something Actually, like that. Absolutely, right. You know, when do you buy the chicken at what time, right? When yeah, 5pm. When, when does it come out, essentially? <laughs> so I was like, oh, we probably live in parallel universe, right? Because there are all these students apparently in the university I'm studying in who are infinitely smarter than me, whereas my cohort and my peers were really like 10% or 5% of that intellect level. But I love the fact that, I like the insults. I like the fact yeah. that they... And I the like humour was so dry. The dry humour that came with it. Yeah, and he, like it, you know, this is the best of British humour, I think, yes. right? But when I look back at some of the uh, university challenge shows that I watch, right? And it was, it was okay, I have to say, it's mainly dominated by guys, usually. Yeah, yeah. And they usually are from the sciences, less so from arts. You're the hots for them? <laughs> well, as you know, I'm very attracted to brains, right? That's the okay. number one thing for me. You, right. you know, you can look, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, but if you have an IQ of 180, please apply. Okay. <laughs> please apply now. Okay, got it. <laughs> but jokes aside, um, I'm actually reading a parallel article, which is actually um, about Imperial College. And they interviewed mm. those three brainiacs, four brainiacs. Uh, was it all men again? No, there was a woman, woman this time, well, Fatima man. Sheriff. Um, do you know they spend months preparing? Months, really? Philip. They don't just roll into the studio with like you know high IQs, which they all do, I'm sure. They actually spun, spend months revising their specialist subjects and practicing quizzes as a close-knit group. Hello, but the Singaporean guy like answered 85% of the questions, so he was the one that carried all the load, isn't it? Uh, yes, and by the way, the smart Singaporean, his name is Max Zeng. Yeah. Well, so I, I like all these game shows because they reflect, I guess, my level of intellect. And I think it shows The lack how, of intellect. The lack of intellect I've had. And it actually shows how I've degenerated. Because I remember when I started watching this, then I was like, oh, this is too intellectual. Then I moved to Weakest Link, where you had that host basically insult you when you ask answer really basic questions. And now, you know what I spend my time on? Family Feud. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. <laughs> how the mighty have fallen from University Challenge to Weakest Link. And now I'm just... You know, very into family feud. That's Why? how my mind has degenerated. Perhaps, well, is it because you just feel like you want to switch off when you get off work? Yeah. It? So game shows used to be like, oh, it's a great way to learn. But no, no, I actually like the I like the repartee. I like the jokes. I like the insinuations more rather than the actual learning process that comes with it. I now. have no words for you. <laughs> I'm sorry. I've degenerated. No, but I think what is great about University Challenge is that... Um, it, it it's it's entertaining. It does actually. It's a bit of general knowledge, right? Because it when is. the questions come out, you're like, "Hey, I didn't know that," which I would repeat like a hundred times during the show because I wouldn't know mm. any of it. Uh, so I think it, it's it's fantastic, and you know, it gives a chance for students to really step up. So if they, they are ones, they want this, some students love quizzes, right? Because in mm. UK there is this culture of pub quiz, pub quizzes, yeah, yeah. But this is like the swattiest, brainiest bunch of people in a room. I do love it because, you know, in the UK education system, it's very narrow, right? You go and specialise in a specific field. And I like that there are But these it tends to be elitist because the winners all usually come from Cambridge, Cambridge Oxford, Oxford and such. Imperial, yeah. I think Manchester has won a few times. That's but right. It's like the top, 
top 10% universities usually. That's true. But I like the fact that, you know, it, it, it forces you to build breadth in your knowledge. Because I think when you get into the workforce, so much of your technical depth can get you so far. But it's about your ability to connect things, to have a broader view of your general knowledge. That helps you actually get further in life, in my view. Because it allows you to be open to the idea that you need to keep on learning. Because that's, I think, the key about all these quizzes, right? When you say the preparation and work, it's not just about being having technical skills, but it's also having breadth of knowledge. And that's why I find it very exciting to do general knowledge quizzes, although at times I feel super inferior super. because I can only I, answer I'm 10% really, of it. Yeah, and I'm not even good at Scrabble. Embarrassing. Yeah. Uh, but who's taking over is a gentleman called Amol Rajan. He has been announced as the new host of the University Challenge. We wish him a good 29-year run like Jeremy Paxman. But let us know, what is your favourite game show? Um, uh, is there something particular that you really want to watch every time? Uh, let us know. You can WhatsApp in 018-789-8899 or you can also tweet in. Our handle is at BFM Radio. We'll be back after these messages. 6.19, Friday the 19th of August. And of course, you're listening to The Morning Run with Philip C and I'm Wong Shaoning. And that song was... Do you want to buy friends for dinner? Do I want to what? I guess it depends. It could mean so many things for different people, Skinny right? dip in the River Clang? No. No. Um, eat a, a hot dog later on. Maybe I feel like it actually. This, delicious this sushi in the evening? Why um, not? Yeah, probably on Saturday night. Why not? Yo, why not? Go shopping later on. Why not? Go for the run. Why not? Listen to us all the way to Absolutely. 9.30. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> and... What's next, Philip, is this um, article from the Financial Times. You chose this, right? Social media's big bet. The shopping revolution will be live-streamed. Yes. Uh, what's this all about? Because I, I don't get this, you know. I know people sell stuff on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, but I don't. I, it just doesn't resonate. Okay, firstly, they sell stuff. Now, they actually have live video stream. Where Didn't we have it during uh, COVID where people sold fish? It's, yes. Yeah, there were these fish auctions, right? Fish which auctions. had a life of their own. Yes, it's very popular. I mean, if you look at the numbers in China, it's really gone bonkers, right? It's nearly expected to hit $500 billion by 2023. On these live, live stream, stream kind of semi-auctions, are Yes, they? that's right. But to be honest, we've had this before. Look, in TV, we've had CJ Wow Shop. Yes, yes. All this, you know, live TV shows where, you know, buy this hair dryer, which has got this special yeah, yeah. functionality, which will make your hair double perm or something to the effect. <laughs> And you need have hundred units. Says the man who has never used the hairdryer. I've never used the hairdryer before for a long time. Only in the gym. But in, in any case, this is nothing very new. Only the difference being the channel here. But the biggest issue I have now is that this is these these channels, these social media channels, TikTok, Instagram. I've always viewed them as content channels. Okay. Where I've just enjoyed the content. Now I'm being asked to transact on the channel as well. But you can just always opt out, right? But I think this is driven by the fact that Amazon has said they want to wade into the game, isn't it? They want to do live videos to sell their products. That's right. They probably look with envy at TikTok and think, hmm, I want a bit of this pie too. So the question is, how do you begin monetizing the content? Because you're getting someone to talk about a product or an mm. experience or such isn't a diff- and then convert much- it to sales. But Okay, so you're taking it one step further. Yes. But to be fair, it already exists in social media, right? That's what a lot of influencers do. They are paid. And honestly, even though sometimes, I think now, for example, YouTube does put this paid promotion. I've seen it like a little bit of a disclaimer, but they don't actually tell you where to go and buy it. So So now, now it's like the process is linked. Yes, exactly. I think that's the big difference, right? Because if you were very focused on the content, the paid is through advertising dollar. Mm. So you basically essentially pay for being promoted and highlighted yeah. on the piece. And the transaction is done outside the app. Yes. But now in this case here, they want to basically get a cut of the transaction.
function in the app itself. And that I think is the big distinction because you want to remove these restrictions and and also journey with the customer all the way down to basically getting their credit card details. So that for me, I think is where it's a bit disconcerting because I've always used the social media as simply a way to understand content. And even if it's paid promotion, if it's highlighted, that's fine. But it's in the end my choice, right, to make the transaction. Yes. But now it's really in your face. And when they do these live stream videos, it's like, mm. okay, you've got 30 seconds, one minute to kind of make a transaction. It's also this urgency that is being injected into the process. Well, uh, the FT article actually is interesting also because they do a bit of comparison between what's happening in China. So like you say, Philip, it's a big thing in China, right? 500 billion. TikTok does extremely well there. Uh, Also because it already happens on so many more mature established platforms such as Taobao. uh, Pindodo and Douyin. Okay, so this shopping online, shopping on a social app is... Nothing is the norm. New. But guess what? It apparently doesn't do so well when it when it started in UK. So TikTok tried it in London. Uh, and the numbers, although not disclosed, hint at uh, a bit of um, a slow start. People aren't uh, you, clicking on and buying the stuff as much as I think TikTok had hoped. I so mean, I wonder whether it's a cultural thing or will we get there? Will... will um, the English adopt this one day? Well, I think that's a very good point because if you contrast the numbers that we say there's not China, right? You know, double-digit growth every year, hitting $500 billion. You contrast it to the US, it's really single-digit growth, hitting probably $60 billion in 2026, which get, goes to show, you know, how much smaller this is going to affect the UK market. Perhaps it's also a sense of for the Western uh, consumer, they probably have many other options. They probably mm. have the retail functions all kind of developed. And I guess in this situation where China still has a zero COVID policy, there is really very limited opportunities for you to purchase and transact, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. On the physical because retail uh, if let's element. say you were in the mall and somebody had COVID there, they closed the mall for days and then yes. you're trapped in the mall. So do you really want to go to so the mall? So that can be very stigmatizing, I think, in terms of driving that physical ex- retail experience. So perhaps that why, that's why I think this will stick longer in China, whereas in US and UK, they really didn't get into this lockdowns for a very no. long time. So it looks like you literally can't click, cut and paste into a, an into an existing market and think it's going to work. So what works for China may not work for, for UK, sure. may not work for US. But I am a bit like you. I have yet to buy anything from these social media apps. I'm still a brick and mortar lady. I, I To be fair, I, I go on e-commerce, but I, I like these e-commerce sites which are just designed for shopping. Yeah. I don't want a confusion or blurred lines in terms of what I, like the purpose I go to a site and then for the purpose I go to another site. Absolutely. That's why there's a big debate, you know, among among the social media apps and even normal apps, right? Are you a content app or are you a transaction app? Be very clear. If you try and mix it all together and have multiple alternative revenue models, it can be very confusing. But maybe for them, you know, if you're in the business of this, you just want as much revenue as possible, right? Because everybody's thinking... It's all about catching those eyeballs and keeping those eyeballs interested. But let us know what you think. You can tweet in. Our handle is at BFM Radio. WhatsApp it is WhatsApp in is 018-789-8899. Up next is the 6.30 a.m. news bulletin. And to take us there is Bad Medicine by Bon Jovi. Keep it here. BFM 89.9. And that was How You Like Me Now by The Heavy, 6.41 Friday, the 19th of August. And you're listening to The Morning Run. We like you regardless whether you're heavy or light. <laughs> That's true, but I prefer to be light. Um, 6.41, 19th of August, like I said, and we made it to Friday. And at this time of the morning, we always look through all the international headlines that caught our eye. What's what's 
What caught my eye? Yes, please. I, I, I lost think, my words for a moment. <laughs> it's fine, not a problem. Well, the Bloomberg article, I think, also reported in the Star, Premier League, the English Premier League's revenue is expected to exceed £6 billion, pounds, or £7.1 billion for this season for the first time, rapidly outpacing its European rivals. So just to give you a sense, right, Premier League clubs earned £4.9 billion pounds in the 2020-2021 season, according to Deloitte. And if you contrast, right, 8% rise a year earlier in the UK, but Germany's Bundesliga and Spain's La Liga suffered a 6% drop. So a really big divergence here in performance why? between the UK and also the other leagues in Europe. I wonder why. Is it because there's just less attendance or people aren't paying so much for the television rights? I think it's also a function of the television rights and the broadcast rights here that I think is resulting to this big uh, divergence taking mm. place. But even if you look at the English football scene, you can contrast the Premier League versus, I think, the second tier. There's actually also a big difference yeah. as well taking place there. You know, I'm sure there are many football fans out there who, you know, monitor the movements of clubs really closely. But it was drawn to my attention yesterday that Liverpool actually was busy in Southeast Asia. They played games in Thailand and also in Singapore. So I wonder whether it's a function of them being really out there and getting new fans from around the world, which has resulted in this stellar numbers for well, the English Premier League. Because I don't hear of Spanish clubs or German clubs coming to this area, for well, example. Well, I think this whole trip, I think, results in you, I think, being able to come, come, come. I think basically demand for better broadcast mm. income revenue. And that's why you see the broadcast revenue grow. But in contrast, like it, it, Italy's Serie A, mm. I think, suffered a significant decline. And even Germany's Bundesliga saw signed a deal for domestic broadcast rights that was 5% lower than oh, the previous cycle. Okay, so they aren't growing their fan base as They're much. They're not growing their fan base as fast as the UK. And related to football, this is an article from the Financial Times, I think driven by the fact that Elon Musk tweeted out a few days ago that he wanted to buy Menu, which turned out to be fake news. It was a joke, by the way. Uh, but a man that's apparently not joking about this is billionaire Sir, James, Sir Jim Radcliffe. He has declared his interest in buying Menu. If it's controlling owners, the Glazers are open to sale. Now, who's Radcliffe? He's the founder of Ineos Petrochemical Group and one of UK's richest people. He's a lifelong supporter of the club and has often been tipped as a possible bidder if the US family decides to sell. I wonder how much he's willing to pay, though. Very interesting that you've seen a lot of investor activity in football clubs in the past, you know, six months, one year, isn't it? That mm. uh, you see not only the traditional UK, but also US investors also flock into the UK football scene. Even I thought, I even remember Serena Williams, who is, I think, uh, in entering retirement, yes. is also one of the co-investors for some of these football clubs as well. Yeah, and of course, you have a lot of Middle Eastern uh, countries buying football clubs. And there was this whole podcast about how sports has its own form of greenwashing. Didn't Berjaya also have a stake in a football club? Yes, so did uh, Tony Fernandez, I do believe. Is that the That's pinnacle right. of your success? Probably. When you finally made it, you then you... hit your peak. Yeah, you hit your peak. Well, I'm not sure peak. Uh, but other news, Singapore Straits Times highlights this... Um, this article that's about US and Taiwan, they are pushing to do deepen trade ties amid China tensions. So I find this very interesting because I find what's happened with the Russian-Ukraine war, that there are all these uh, new relationships being drawn up. So mm. for example, Myanmar. Myanmar is now taking Russian oil. Yeah, well, I guess... Um, 
some people say the baddies in the world need to get together, right? <laughs> because in the in the same breath, also Myanmar, Myanmar's generals are very very unhappy with ASEAN yeah. for excluding him from many of these regional meetings. So we're seeing lines being drawn essentially. For sure, because like you know, there's lots of trade sanctions against Russia, right? Yeah. So where can the oil flow to to countries which are also on the other end of section sanctions? That's right. So I think that's not surprising. But building back to your point about this ch- uh, trade tensions and ties between China and US, I think China is also very unhappy with the US Chips Act mm. that came out because they're trying to basically onshore back many of the chip manufacturers. The question really is, how does all these diplomatic moves take place? Because we also saw Japan and China also went into this long talk about bilateral diplomacy talks as well taking place. Lots of geopolitical tensions out there that we need to pay attention to. Uh, but we'll be back after these messages. Keep it here, BFM 89.9. 6.50 Friday, the 19th of August. And of course, you're listening to The Morning Run. And that was The Other Side by Aerosmith. And yes, we have taken you to the other side of the week. It's the weekend. It's, oh, that's the good side. But do you have a good side or a bad side, Shawnee? Uh, both. <laughs> both. Sometimes a bit more bad than good, I think, when I shout at you all. But yeah, anyway. Well, if you say so. <laughs> uh, but as usual, we are looking through all the papers, all the portals to bring you all the most important news coming out of Malaysia. And there's only three letters that have been dominating the headlines, right? L, C and S. Yes, I think that stands for literal combat ships. And I have to give kudos to the H again. They have come out with a very good pictorial on how the LCS saga has developed. And they showed a timeline from 2007 all the way from 2022, on one side, the list of defence ministers that came online, right, from 2008 onwards, and the events that took place related to the LCS uh, saga that came through, right, from 2007 onwards. And you know, Shawnee, we've had close to six defence ministers in the past 14 years, and they're not small fry, right? We start with our current uh, the former Prime Minister, Najib, Convicted, Prime, convicted Minister. Prime Minister. Yeah. Then Dato Sri Zaid Hamidi. Yes. Then Dato Sri Hisham Mudin. Then Mat Sabu with Pakadana Harapan coming in. Then our Prime Minister Ismail Sabri. And then back to Hisham Mudin again. So really, these are really senior AMNO and also senior Pakatan Harapan leaders yes. that actually have run this portfolio. Mm. And you can see on the right the back-to-back events that have taken place with respect to this LCS saga. So you should check it out. Okay, the other thing that I want people to check out is the Malaysia Kini article also, uh, where they actually reveal, or at least Rafizi reveals, phony firm siphoned $192 million from LCS Project 1 MDB yeah. style. So apparently there was an internal investigation by Bausted Heavy Industry Corp. And where, like I say, 192 was allegedly siphoned off, right? And this was revealed by PKR Deputy President Rafizi Ramli, who claimed to have cited the investigation report. But to be fair, the report was not shared with the press. So we don't have the details of this. But I'm really curious... Who are those that benefited from this 192 million ringgits being taken, like siphoned away? Is this the next one, MDB? I think everyone is asking that question. Of course, it sounds like the bill and amounts are relatively small, but the operational what is relative. The operational what is relative because it's not small. It's just relatively small compared to one MDB. Yeah, but it's just a disgrace, right? That we keep having one scandal after another scandal. That's right. And, and who's t- going to be brought to task for this one, for this LCS scandal? And I mean, that's why it's very interesting, right? When we talk about all the 
defence ministers that came through just now in that lineup. I talk about small, but this is definitely not small. In the whole saga over our convicted Prime Minister Najib Razak, the federal court heard on Thursday that all it took for the approval of four billion ringgit in loans from the retirement fund Quap to SRC International Sinirbad was a single letter from then Prime Minister Datuk Sri Najib Razak. Four billion ringgit loan. You know, we have this issue always and we've tried to address it countless times on our show whereby what's the accountability, right? Who's accountable for things like this? Should there not be a process, a due diligence process before things like this happen? Is power too much centralised in the hands of mm. the Prime Minister or in certain government officials? And it seems like there is, right? There's really not enough check and balance. So what I find interesting is, I think our civil service have tried their very best to to kind of be as impartial because in this uh, note by the then, by the ad hoc prosecutor that took V. Satambaram, he said that initially the Economic Planning Unit had suggested that the funding for SRC be sourced from commercial banks and financial markets, which was also charged, accepted by Najib then and then Minister in Charge of the EPU Tanstream, Noor Muhammad Yaakob. However, Najib subsequently in his capacity as the Prime Minister overruled and fi- everything. Yes, overruled it in the end. And so instead of sourcing the money from commercial banks and financial markets, the, the reverse took place. Yeah, and the money came from Coop, right, in the yeah. end. Now, um, let's talk about this trial that is really going on, of course, the other headline that has captured our eye. Of course, uh, the appeal is pending in the federal court. So uh, I think our ex-Prime Minister has come out to say that he's being denied justice because his defence lawyer is not allowed to proceed with oral arguments. But I think the point is, look, um, you know, you changed your lawyers at the 11th hour. Why did you do so? So I think the federal court came out with a very good ruling saying, we just need to proceed. We can't delay yeah. this anymore. So a quote from uh, our pr- former Prime Minister, I'm now left without in effect and reality, without a defence counsel, and that is the most unfortunate part, and I'm not able to present my defence, and I believe I have a strong and credible defence, yeah. according to him. So the, you know, the fact is Hisham, uh, who is his new defence lawyer, tried to discharge himself, and Chief Justice Tun Tunku Maimun denied his application. She said that he has not shown cause to discharge himself, and basically, the appeal is still going on. And I think all of us, all Malaysians, want to know the outcome as soon as possible. Is it inevitable? I don't know. Nothing's inevitable. Um, mm. we, we really don't know what the federal court will rule. But I think everybody will like justice to continue, right? It's been many, many years already since the start of this case. Justice delayed is justice denied. Yes, very much so. Uh, but up next, of course, is the 7am news bulletin. And to take us out is Somebody to Love by Jefferson Airplane. Keep it here. BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.